Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Moisture uh, feels good. The weather dropped uh, a little bit down to the mid 80s, which was quite uh, the relief. Uh, back at the studio uh, here uh, at Lotus Broadcasting, uh, happy to be here. Um, it's been a little while, but uh, things are slowly but surely getting back uh, to normal, and uh, that's one of the uh, the, the great parts uh, of it. Uh, we want your calls: 702-365-9200. Did you happen to see the comments? from a certain wide receiver that went to Fresno State with Derek Carr. Happens to play for the Green Bay Packers now. And Derek Carr comes out over the weekend at a charity event in Fresno talking about how, man, I would, wouldn't mind playing with Devontae Adams again at some point in my career. And, oh, by the way, Devontae Adams is a free agent here pretty soon. Great wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers. And then Devontae Adams comes out today. I guess, I think it was today, maybe it was yesterday, talking about how, yeah, don't know how things might work out, but sounds pretty good to me. So I know it's a year away. Devontae Adams is a property of the Green Bay Packers, but kind of fun to speculate sometimes about things like that because sometimes things like that get talked into existence. And Devontae Adams with the Raiders pairing up again with Derek Carr, with Henry Ruggs, Darren Waller, uh, Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake. Whoo-wee! That would be a pretty good Raiders offense. But, again, it's for future purposes. However, the two key guys, the quarterback and the wide receiver, former teammates at Fresno State, certainly seem to be throwing something out there into the atmosphere and you never know, because sometimes those type of things get talked into existence. What would you think about that, Raider fans? Want your call 702-365-9200. But we're continuing to talk about expectations. Uh, the Raiders come into this season. If you believe uh, the odds makers, if you believe the people that put out uh, win totals, Predictions, the Raiders slot anywhere between seven and eight wins this year in a 17-game schedule. I think that's on the low end. Uh, I got a chance to, obviously, as the uh, Raider beat writer for the Las Vegas Review-Journal and also hosting In the Huddle, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, uh, weekdays from 4 to 6 p.m., Monday through Friday. Got a chance in OTAs to get a look, an up-close look, at this new version of the Raiders, the 2021 version of the Raiders. And and based on what I saw, and granted, and we all know this, it goes without saying, we have to wait till it gets out on the field in a real way, regular season, before whatever the Raiders did this offseason, whatever improvements Henry Ruggs, Max Crosby, Brian Edwards, the offensive line that got rebuilt, the additions of Unique and Gakwe and Quinton Jefferson and Solomon Thomas and the drafting of Malcolm Koontz and the drafting of Trayvon Morg. We have to wait until the regular season starts before we truly understand what kind of an impact, positive or negative, those additions will have, those changes will have. We can't answer those questions until September 13th, 
through right around January 1st, January 2nd. But I don't know. When I look at seven wins as the expected win total for the Raiders, and of course you have to look into why uh, certain like things like that are calculated. Sometimes, you know, if you're in the betting world, it's to try to lure people into making a bet that looks pretty safe or what are they, nuts? Of course they're going to win more than seven games. So they're trying to lure betters, for lack of a better word, uh, in on a bet that might look like easy or, you know, come on, there's no way they're not going to win seven games, right? But so we understand that. We understand that there's calculations that go into that that sometimes sure look like above and beyond, you know, what the talent looks like, what the roster looks like, what the experience looks like. So we'll just leave that as that. But if you're using seven games as the projected win total for the Raiders, I frankly think that's on the low end. Basically, you're saying that the Raiders are not going to be as good as they were last year when they won eight games. I just don't see how that's possible, especially given the additions that the Raiders made uh, during the offseason, defensively in particular, revamping that defensive line, adding some veteran pieces in the secondary, drafting a young player in Trayvon Morig, who everybody assumed or projected to be a first-round pick, fell to the second pick or to the second round uh, due to an injury that he had suffered right before his pro day uh, over at TCU. Fortuitous for the Raiders, Trayvon fell out of the first round right into their lap, basically. They had a trade-up from 48 to 43 to go get him. But after drafting Alex Leatherwood with the 19th pick overall, or the 17th pick overall, the offensive tackle from uh, Alabama, we kind of assumed that one way or another, whether it was going to be a safety or a tackle with that first pick, and then with that second pick, either a tackle or safety, just reverse it based on what they would have done in the first round. But fortuitous for them that there was no way, I don't, think anyone projected that the Raiders were going to be able to have access to Trayvon Morig unless they drafted him with that 17th pick overall. They draft Alex Leatherwood. Their next pick was 48. Obviously, based on all uh, projections, Trayvon Morig was going to be gone long before pick 48 came, and certainly probably in the first round or very, very early in the second. I frankly think he's a first-round talent. So very surprising that... When the first round ended on uh, Thursday night last April, Trayvon Murray is still there, as were a couple of other good-looking young safeties, two of which went early in the second round. And I think the Raiders said, okay, can't wait any longer, move up from 48 to 43, go get Trayvon Morig, who was generally considered the best safety in the draft. So it worked out. They got their tackle, Alex Leatherwood, in the first round. They were able to bring in Trayvon Morig uh, in, in that second round. And you look at that addition. You look at the addition of Gus Bradley uh, defensively as a defensive coordinator, the new defensive leader. You look at his staff that he's brought uh, in with him, Ron Miles the cornerback or their secondary coach, Richard Smith, the linebackers coach, keeping Rod Marinelli, uh, an established, renowned defensive line coach, all of them with track records of development, all of them with track records of teaching skills. 
being able to identify talent, being able to get the most out of uh, individual players, being able to build cohesive defensive units, something that, frankly, the Raiders lacked these last couple of years. The, the defense last year in particular looked dis- dysfunctional, disconnected. It didn't look like they there was chemistry. It didn't look like the messaging was flowing from coaching staff to players. Uh, it just looked discombobulated too many times and too often at the worst possible moments. How many times have we talked about uh, not being able to get pressure on a quarterback or the other team facing a third and long and just bat the ball down, make the stop, tackle the wide receiver short of the first down marker, get the offense off the field, punt it to Derek Carr and a top 10 offense in the NFL, try to go get some more points. But time and time again, in those critical moments of third and longs, late in games, that's when the defense looked the most discombobulated. When you can least afford that to happen, that's when they played sometimes their worst football, sometimes their most disconnected football. Guys were... You know, give up a 26-yard gain on third and 14 looking around at each other like, where were you supposed to be? I thought you were supposed to be there and just shaking their head. And you understood watching the reactions of the players that guys just weren't on the same page. You bring in August Bradley and the coaching staff that he's brought in with him, in addition to upgrading the talent, Unique Ngakwe and everyone else that we've talked about, you got to figure that those defensive breakdowns are going to be reduced managed, mitigated to the point where they're just better in those key situations that we talked about, getting pressure on the quarterback, forcing turnovers, getting the opposing offense off the field in third down situations. You know, the Raiders were among the worst three teams in the league in all three of those categories. I'll tell you what, you can sometimes survive when you're a bottom three team in the league, in any one of those categories. You're really pressing your luck if you're a top or bottom three team in two of those categories. But when you're third worst in the league, or worse, as the Raiders were, in all three of those categories, getting to the quarterback on sacks, forcing turnovers, and getting the opposing offense off the field on third downs, when you're as bad as the uh, Raiders were, In all three of those categories, it's lights out. That's what they call three strikes throughout. So when you look at this win total at seven, projected to be at seven, and you start thinking about, wait, hold on a second. The Raiders won eight games last year in spite of all those issues that I just talked about, in spite of the fact that they were bottom three in the league in three critical categories and – The fourth being they gave up 30 points a game, which is also third worst in the NFL. They won eight games in spite of that. They were a minute 43, 19 seconds left, and in overtime, one stop three different times, three separate games in closing minutes or in overtime, closing seconds really against Miami, from being an 11-win team. All you got to do is... Make a play against the Chiefs. All you have to do is knock the ball down. 
against the Miami Dolphins, who had 19 seconds left, starting from their own 25-yard line, with no timeouts left, down by two points. There's no way you're supposed to lose that game, but they did. But the point being is they were that close to winning three more games for a total of 11, even with those defensive issues that we talked about. And now you look at the projected win total across the NFL and the Raiders are at seven, in spite of the fact that they've, on paper at least, and if you're you know an optimist, they made improvements in areas that you would think are going to help them in the department of getting to the quarterback more often. You get to the quarterback more often by creating heat, pressure, sacks. What's that usually lead to? How many times have we seen a bad throw because the quarterback is throwing on the run or under pressure or strip sacked while getting sacked? So you get pressure on the quarterback, all of a sudden, watch the turnovers go up. And if that happens, and if you're getting more pressure on the quarterback, you would think it's not crazy to assume, and I don't think it would be presumptuous to assume, that if you can do those two things well, especially getting to the quarterback and understanding being better, being more connected as a defense, which will all be reflected in those first two categories. You would think that on third downs, the Lakers or the Lakers, the Raiders are going to be in a better position to get opposing offenses off the field in those situations. They're not going to be the third worst team in the NFL in terms of third down stoppage percentage. It's almost impossible that they will be. So you start thinking, and we want your call, 702-365-9200 on this subject. If the Raiders won eight games last year, in spite of the issues that we're talking about, if the Raiders were three plays, eight points, away from winning 11 games, in spite of the issues that we were talking about, I just don't see what the calculation, what the calculus is based on the improvements that the Raiders have made thus far in this offseason. Free agency, the draft, especially defensively. I don't see how an eight-win team is going to win less games than they did in spite of the fact that they got better in some key areas. Now, of course, it has to be proven on the field. We get that. We understand that. But maybe, you know, maybe I'm seeing things a little bit differently than, than some other people are. Obviously, that's the case. And look, I understand skepticism is a healthy thing sometimes. And the Raiders, to be honest with you, let's be perfectly frank, over the last decade plus have not done much enough to be able to be skepticism free, right? They've, they've let their fans down far too often. They've collapsed. They haven't won enough games. They haven't gotten to the playoffs except for the 2016 season. Um, they've lost way more games than they've won. They've gone through different regimes. They've fired coaches. They've done the start and stop and start and stop. 
Um, so having faith in a team that's had those issues for the last 10 plus years, it's hard for you would imagine. And I get this. It's, it's, it's difficult for others to put any kind of faith in a team that's let their fans down as much as the Raiders have these last few years and these, you know, 10 plus years. So that has to play into it as well. At some point, and this is where it becomes, it's on the Raiders. It's their responsibility. You want people to believe in you more. You want the experts to start penciling you in at beginnings of the season for more wins. You got to go out there and prove it. Now, I think, we were talking about this yesterday, you know, I look at the Phoenix Suns and what they've done this year. They came into this season, if you were the same people, basically, uh, that are that are predicting seven wins for the Raiders, predicted about 38 wins for the Phoenix Suns coming into this year, who end up winning, what, 52, 51 wins, getting home field advantage, home court advantage throughout the Western Conference playoffs. Now they're one game away from going to the NBA Finals. You would, when you look at that situation and understand that it's not unusual for a team to win well above their projected win total. Why can't the Raiders be like that? Yeah, obviously there was skepticism for the Phoenix Suns, who ended up, I think, with the best record in the Western Conference, right? They went from 38, 37 projected wins to the top of the heap in the Western Conference, a game away from the NBA Finals. Nobody thought that was going to happen. Nobody believed that was possible. Certainly not the predictors of how many wins they were going to have coming into this season. And I use the Suns as an example because it's not like they're this overnight sensation or anything like that. They've been putting a lot of work in it these last few years, these last three, four years or so with some shrewd drafting, developing, understanding. There's going to be some growing pains. It's okay. We believe in the plan. We believe in the players that we have in place that eventually they're going to get us to a point where can be a little bit more aggressive out in free agency or maybe trades to bring in difference makers are going to take a team that got to this point to now the next point and the next level. You look at the Raiders and you compare them to the Phoenix Suns. The Raiders won eight games last year in spite of an extremely flawed defense. But the Raiders, it, it told the Raiders something. They're, they're okay offensively. They're, they're where they need to be offensively. Now, granted, there was some tinkering done on the offense. You're always in pursuit of getting better. And I think in the Raiders' case, a better offense in 2021 compared to 2020 would be a more efficient offense, especially some key areas, running the ball, running the ball more effectively, running the ball at a higher rate, more efficiency, being more efficient in the red zone. The Lake or the Raiders were, you know, in the lower 20s in terms of touchdown percentage in the right red zone. They were 53% or so of the times they got to the red zone that they actually scored a touchdown. Now, their overall efficiency in the red zone compared to 2019 was much better 
in 2020. The problem was too many times uh, they they kicked field goals rather than score touchdowns. In 2019, they'd get into the red zone, uh, and then they would shoot themselves in the foot. They'd give the ball up on downs. They'd turn the ball over. A penalty would knock them out of the red zone. So their efficiency level in terms of scoring points was worse in 2019 than it was in 2020. So they made improvements in that area, but just not enough. And far too often, they had to settle for field goals rather than touchdowns. They want to increase the touchdown efficiency level and percentage level when they get into the red zone. How do you do that? Well, I think the Raiders made some changes on the offensive line that they believe uh, add some youth and some power and some explosiveness, maybe some more durability. Uh, They've added Kenyon Drake, who is going to be paired up with Josh Jacobs, a running back that brings a whole other different uh, um, dimension to the running back position in terms of what he could do as a runner on that outside zone compared to what Josh Jacobs does between the tackles. You also have a Kenyon Drake who can line up at wide receiver at any of the three wide receiver positions so that he could be utilized in that uh, area. Uh, And hopefully for the Raiders, that means in the red zone, being being able to be a little bit more creative and being able to run the ball better, throw it better, have more options Obviously, a guy like Henry Ruggs figures into that picture in the red zone. Obviously, Foster Morrow, uh, who was coming back from an injury last year and is now fully healthy and I think is big in the plans, especially situationally and especially as a big red zone threat opposite of Darren Waller. You've got Brian Edwards, the young wide receiver from South Carolina, kind of a big, strong uh, middle of the field guy that you could throw it all you could throw the ball to uh, and have him go fight for it in the red zone a guy that's perfectly suited to be a red zone weapon so I think in that regard you know the Raiders feel like they could be better and more efficient in the red zone based on some of the personnel that they've added and some of the development of some young players obviously Darren Waller uh, is going to be can be hugely impactful in that area of the field especially now with other players other better players around him taking some focus away from him could free him up uh, in the red zone. Or if the opposing defense wants to, you know, make sure that he's not going to beat you in that area of the field, it's going to open something up for other players. So it'll work both ways. So much like the Phoenix Suns in terms of, all right, the development of the offense has gotten the Raiders to, an eight-win team minimum, even in spite of a defense that was just playing bad last year. You bring in a Yannick Ngakwe. You bring in a Casey Hayward on the other side of the football. You bring in a coach like uh, Gus Bradley, the new defensive coordinator, and his staff. You figure that adding those type of pieces and that type of coaching to a defense that almost can't get any worse and is bound to get better. And you couple it with an offense that has a chance to be even better than the top 10 offense it was last year, certainly more efficient if things work out, and especially if things get ironed out a little bit in the red zone. Seven wins, much like 
the Suns, who were project, uh, pre- uh, predicted, I should say, to win 37, 38 games last year, but they added Chris Paul. They added Jay Crowder. They add some veteran leadership and certainty in some key positions to help some of these young players that had gone from A to B to C, and now we're ready to really take it to level D, but needed some help. Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, Yannick Ngakwe, Casey Hayward, the new coach, Gus Bradley. Could they have that type of effect for the Raiders as some of the changes that the Suns made for their purposes? Again, nobody was predicting that the Phoenix Suns would do what they did this year. Everyone just assumed, based on past history, well, they're yeah, 37 wins. That's that's about where they where they slot. The Raiders, yeah, seven wins. That's kind of where we figure that they're going to be. Doesn't have to be that way. I don't think it's going to be that way. I think the Raiders are going to win far more than seven games. I could see the Raiders winning 10 or 11 games because we saw last year them win eight games and probably should have won one, at least two more, probably three, really, but at least two. Let's just give them that Dolphins game and that Chargers game. They should have won those two games. The Kansas City Chiefs game, I mean, it is... Patrick Mahomes, it is the Kansas City Chiefs. You are giving Mahomes the ball back with a minute 43 left. Plenty of time for him to work some magic, which he did. All right, so the Chiefs were just better when they needed to be in that situation against the Raiders. You give the Chiefs that win. But that Dolphins game, the the Raiders should have won. That Chargers game, the Raiders should have won. This should have been a 10-win team last year, in spite of all the defensive issues. What's this team going to be like in a 17-game schedule with a better defense? I just think 10, 11 wins is definitely, definitely within reason. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We're back in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. This is Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Wednesday. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. By the way, uh, shout out to Michael T's uh, restaurant uh, over in Las Vegas. And went over there for lunch today. Wow. The ribs, I'm just saying, get the ribs. Uh, but they also have great steaks and burgers. Um, so uh, a really cool place. I'm uh, going to talk about some uh, some great uh, events that they have planned. Uh, put it this way. If you like Motown music, and I do, that's the place that you want to be on Wednesdays uh, and Sunday afternoons. Uh, so, uh, But I'll give you all the details in just a little bit. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line, Jesse Merrick from News Channel 3 here in Las Vegas, the local NBC affiliate, is was kind enough to drop in and spend some time with us in the huddle. How you doing, Jesse? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Um, and I got to ask you, this is like a weird time of year. Uh, the Golden Knights wrapped up, unfortunately, uh, a little bit earlier than, than we had all hoped and, uh, and, and were counting on. And now you've got that little bit of a three weeks or so, four weeks or so before the Raiders uh, kick it up uh, for training camp. Uh, what's keeping you busy? What's keeping Jesse uh, Merrick busy over at Channel 3 right now? 
time off. That's what's keeping me busy. <laughs> um, we're taking uh, we're taking some three day weekends here and there, but uh, we're also partnered with the Las Vegas Aces, so we're uh, we're diving in head first with them. I'm going to be covering them a lot this year. We're uh, doing a lot of stuff with them, so it should be fun over the next couple of weeks here and as the season rolls on for sure. And I'm glad you you mentioned the Aces because uh, they're they're playing well, and you know basketball is is great because I you know it, it's not so important to be peaking at this point in the season you want to be playing your best when the best is really needed and that's that's in the playoffs but as the aces go through their journey uh, of the season where are they right now do you feel and how much more ceiling do they have to grow to i think they've got a lot of room to grow after their last game against seattle which was honestly one of the best games uh, that we've seen in the wfba season so far that was on uh, sunday incredible game went to ot and the aces won um, you know, we asked Bill Lambier that, and he said, he's like, you know, this is exactly where I thought the team was going to be. And then he kind of backtracked and said, well, actually better than I thought because he thought that there's going to be more growing pain. So they're ahead of schedule in terms of, you know, their record against who was the team that won the WNBA championship last year in Seattle and actually beat them in that uh, championship series. So I think they've still got some room to grow because it's a team that's got so many pieces that have been on the, with, it, with the franchise for a while, but they weren't together in the bubble and they've added some new pieces. They're still kind of figuring each other out. So I think this is going to be a team after the Olympic break that's going to be real interesting to see when they come back, um, you know, how much more continuity they have because adding Chelsea Gray into the mix along with Asia and Liz Cambage has been pretty incredible to watch. And Chelsea Gray has come as advertised. If you guys haven't watched the game yet, you've got to tune in. Chelsea Gray added to the mix with that team has been a lot of fun to watch, and she's a big-time playmaker. All right, uh, Jesse, I don't know if you saw the exchange um, over the weekend and uh, within the last couple of days or so, but um, two former Fresno State star football players, Derek Carr and Devontae Adams, uh, great friends, sure seem to be um, having a little bit of a love fest going on right now uh, about the possibility of joining forces again, maybe even here in Las Vegas, uh, with with Derek Carr uh, being reunited with uh, Devontae Adams, who just so happens to be a free agent uh, at the end of this year. Hard to believe that the Packers would allow him to hit the open market, but anything is possible. What do you make of the public fawning between Derek Carr and Devontae Adams uh, these last few days? Yeah, that stuff always cracks me up because it's like, you know, when are we going to get the time where someone's like, nah, I'm good, don't want to play with that guy anymore, <laughs> you know? More often than not, they're going to back each other up, and, and you know, and it seems that they do have a great relationship and kind of have had fun little interactions throughout their careers in the NFL. But, um, you know, I think it's definitely good for, for the Raiders to hear something like that simply from the fact of, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers. If he doesn't end up coming back to Green Bay, maybe Devontae lets the contract run out and, and does come to a place like Las Vegas. I mean, and we've heard from so many people that it's a desirable place uh, for a lot of different athletes of every sport to come, but also specifically in the NFL. We're going to start to see that over the couple of years here. So I think it's interesting. And I also think it speaks a bit of volumes to the fact we all know about the, you know, reported stuff that happened with Tom Brady, and obviously that was blown out of proportion in terms of people guessing about what team it was that he was talking about. But I know there were some outlets that said that they were talking about the Raiders and Derek Carr and all that. Well, Look, when one of the top receivers in the NFL says he'd like to play with this guy again, something he doesn't have to say, I think that should kind of maybe, you know, quiet some people that are continuing to hate on Derek Carr in that regard. Yeah, it's always kind of funny to me as well, uh, you know, uh, whatever perception there is of John Gruden 
uh, out there in whether it's Raider Nation or, you know, the the pundits. Isn't it kind of funny that a bunch of quarterbacks just seem to want to play for the Raiders? I mean, I, I don't know if you've noticed that trend, uh, but Russell Wilson's agent listed the Raiders as a team that he wouldn't mind playing for. Uh, somehow, some way, it gets out there that Aaron Rodgers wouldn't mind playing for the Raiders. Tom Brady, last year, there were rumors that he wanted to play for the Raiders. Um, it kind of defies some of what we hear nationally and, and maybe within the fan base of John Gruden. Do you find it interesting that, in spite of what's sometimes said, that players seem to really want to play for John Gruden? I do, yeah, and I think it is very interesting. And I've heard you know, a handful of different players on podcasts throughout the league and whether it's podcasts with other media members or podcasts with other NFL players, a lot of people say that they love playing for John Gruden. And again, you mentioned all those quarterbacks. It does seem like anytime a quarterback's name gets brought up, Vegas is on that list, which is great for the Raiders, great for Las Vegas, because again, it shows that it's a desirable spot to be. But I think it does kind of maybe buck that trend where a lot of people do like to hate on John Gruden. I mean, I get it. The guy was out of the business for a while and then a lot of people start to say, oh, he's just a TV guy, he doesn't know what he's doing. And then we've seen the issues that they had in the red zone. But at the end of the day, the guy still put together an offense that was really effective last year. Again, just needs some tweaks in the red zone and things like that, and it needs to be a bit more aggressive at times. But the guy knows what he's doing, and he's clearly been able to orchestrate an offense that's effective, and people want to be a part of that. So I think people should start to kind of honestly give the respect to both him and Derek Carr with what they've managed to do thus far. We're talking to Jesse Merrick uh, from Channel 3 here in Las Vegas, the local NBC affiliate. You can follow him at Jesse News 3 lv Along those lines, uh, when you talk about respect and you start looking at the pundits and the uh, procrastinators, or what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the prognosticators. Pro- prognosticators. Jeez, I got all <laughs> tongue-tied right there. Prognosticators. Thank you, Jared, for uh, saving me right there. Um, I keep saying the win total of seven being attached to the Raiders in terms of their predicted win total. Uh, Jesse, I, I think that's f- way too low uh, for the Raiders. I think I th- th- they won eight games last year with the third worst defense in the NFL. I, It's almost impossible to me for me to imagine that a defense is going to play any worse. I think it's actually going to play better. If they won eight games last year with that defense and were eight points away from being an 11-win team with that defense – where do you feel? What do you feel the reasoning is, or the calculus is, that a lot of people are actually thinking the Raiders are going to be worse next year than they were last year, in spite of some improvements that they made? Yeah, I tend to agree with you that it's it's ridiculous that that's what's attached to them because essentially they're saying that the Raiders are going to be two games worse with the added game coming in. And one thing I've started to realize, you know, since covering, getting back into covering the NFL, you know, on a, on a regular basis again and being in the market with the team is, you know, when you watch the national networks and you read articles, things like that, a lot of these people on the national stage, and I'm not trying to throw shade at any of these particular people, but they, they just kind of take everything and do it with a broad stroke. They don't really quite know the ins and outs of specific teams and things like that. They'll say things that don't quite make sense if you're someone that covers this team on a daily basis, which I'm sure you've seen at times when you're doing research or reading up or seeing what other people are saying out there. And it always surprises me to see that. And I think a lot of people just discredit the Raiders because over the years, yes, they haven't won tons of games. And, um, you know, and again, it goes back to the knock on John Gruden and Derek Carr from that seems to honestly not be player driven, but mostly media driven. Um, you know, so I do think seven wins is low, you know, look, it's not an easy schedule, especially the first uh, three games there against Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Miami. But 
when you look at it, I think they're going to do better than seven wins. It's just a matter of fact of how are they going to finish, you know, and that's where things get a little interesting. You've got uh, from week 14 on, you've got Kansas City, Cleveland. That's going to be a real rough stretch there. Prior to that, you have Washington, who's got a great defense. Then you go to Indy uh, for week 17, and then you finish up at home against the Chargers. You know, it's a really interesting stretch there. But I think seven wins is a bit of a slap in the face when you think about, yes, the Raiders did finish 8-8, eight and eight, but you got to take into account, again, like you said, the defense they had. They lost three out of their last four games, five out of their last seven. I mean, it was a pretty big collapse. That's something that I don't see happening when they have made the move to improve their defense. They brought in a better coach who's had success in many stops. And then, again, you add some pieces of the offense where I think things are going to start changing a bit more there and possibly getting a bit more explosive and effective. Jesse, we talked to some players uh, during OTAs and minicamp who expressed just kind of sick and tired of, of losing and feeling like they were that close to being a playoff team. And, and they didn't like that feeling of not being able to close the deal. Do you feel like, especially defensively, uh, where I don't feel – they were ready to to hold up their end of the bargain for whatever reason. There were a bunch of reasons why they weren't last year. Do you feel like defensively the Raiders are that group is ready to hold up its end of the bargain? Do we are are we there yet with the Raiders defense? I think time will tell. That one I'm I'm honestly on the fence with it. And then more so, I mean, hold up their end of the bargain. I think you and I have talked about this would more so mean that they're a middle-of-the-road defense. No one's expecting them to be a top-ten defense. If they are, then that's great for Gus Bradley and company. And then the Raiders are really going to make some noise if that off, if that defense turns into that and the offense continues the pace that it's been on. Um, but, I, you know, I'm kind of on the fence in terms of where it's going to be. I think that they did address their needs. You know, they got a safety in Trayvon Merrick, a kid that, by all accounts, has turned up great. And, again, it's OTAs. But, you know, people had some good things to say about him. You bring in a guy like Unique Ngakwe, who coming in just looks different, looks like a twitchy athlete, someone that the Raiders were missing. And then the depth that that creates with bringing a guy like him in and then the 50 million D tackles that they signed. So, honestly, I think there's only one way to go but up for this defense. So, I think they're going to take another step in uh, carrying that water. I'll be real curious to see how effective this new scheme is with Gus Bradley. Um, you know, We've seen some teams kind of start to shy away from his scheme but it has worked in spots, so I'm real curious to see how it all happens, how it all comes together, uh, you know, and, and we can't say week one this is what it's going to be. I'm real curious to see what it will look like, you know, four or five, six weeks into the season uh, once they've had uh, some chance to go against some live fire. Is the fence sitting because you haven't seen it yet, or there's something that's troubling you about the defense? I think it's more so because I haven't seen it, because on paper – I think they've made moves, if you're asking me, I think that they've made moves to address that. It's more so, are these guys going to pan out? We've seen with Unique Ngakwe, he was a guy who's bounced around at different teams. I've been very open with the fact that I don't quite think he's as elite of a talent as some people like to believe, but I, after watching him at OTAs, I definitely can tell that he's just a different player. Like He looks different than a lot of guys, and the, the explosiveness is there. The thing that I'm curious to see is Nick Kwiatkowski and Corey Littleton are they as advertised as everyone thought they were going to be last year? So I think it's more so I got to see it. And maybe that's something we'll see in training camp when we see them in this defense and kind of going through the calls and going up against an offense that, you know, was the top 10 offense. I agree with you. Uh, I think I'm a little bit less on the fence, uh, more leaning toward, I think it's going to happen. Uh, but again, 
It's you, we. It's just questions that we cannot supply answers to just yet. It's on the Raiders at this point. They've done what they can on paper. They've made moves that make sense and looks like it's put them in the right direction. But again, it's ultimately up to them uh, to prove it, and that's what makes this season so fascinating. Uh, Jesse, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. Always a pleasure. Always uh, love your insight uh, and enlightenment. Take care of yourself. Enjoy the rest of the time. Go Aces, uh, and we will see you down the road, my brother. Yes, sir. Go Aces. Love talking to you, man. You have a good one. You got it. That's Jesse Merrick from Channel 3 here in Las Vegas, uh, the local NBC affiliate. A little bit on the fence uh, with the with the Raiders' defense, understandably so. Uh, they have let the fans down far too often on that side of the ball. It's time to put up or shut up and prove naysayers wrong, skeptics skeptics wrong, whatever the case might be. It's on them to do that. And I actually think they're in a position to do just that. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. I like the guys. I think we, uh, we have guys that like each other, that love football, that like the preparation. A lot of these guys play for nothing. You know, they would come out here and, and, and keep practicing if I didn't blow the whistle. So we don't have any energy vampires. We got guys that like the game that are going to compete. And um, we have some talent. We have some young, uh, exciting talent. And that, that's what excites me the most. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. That was John Gruden talking about, I love that term energy vampires i think we can all say in our lives we've encountered energy vampires somebody that just sucks the life out of a room out of a situation a workplace whatever the case might be um and imagine you know i can't predict i I, i'm not going to sit here and I have my ideas, let's put it that way, on who he was talking about uh, with the energy vampires. But, you know, when you're a coach, anyone in life, really, especially somebody um, in a position of authority or power, um, you're going to deal with people that are just resistant to things, that are rowing in the opposite direction. And it takes the life out of you trying to correct that, trying to you know, get them in line, trying to to, uh, get them to be more part of the group and not suck the energy out of you or the room or anything like that. Have you ever been around somebody like that? We all have. And it's just, it takes so much effort to deal with that one person or maybe two, you know, uh, whatever, however many, whatever the type of workplace that that you're in and how many people employees and but there's always that one person sometimes uh maybe multiple people who are just going against the grain all the time and just sucking the energy out of the room the fun goes out of it we all know that you know there's situations remember when you're in class uh high school junior high whatever the case might be and there was that one troublemaker who just set the tone for the entire class. And the poor teacher had to spend so much time disciplining or getting that one person to stay in line that it took away from the energy that should have been devoted to students that were there earnestly and wanted to learn and wanted to get better and and all of that that you're doing at school. Well, that happens 
in life. We see it on a day-to-day basis sometimes, some, some people more often uh, than, than others, unfortunately. And it just takes everything out of you to have to deal with that one person or two people. And I, I kind of have an idea of, of who John Gruden was probably talking about uh, as it relates to energy vampires. But I guess the important thing is, at least in his eyes up to this point, there's none of that this year. There's guys that, you know, are committed. You saw that in the numbers as far as players that participated in voluntary uh, OTAs. It was always consistently right around that 86%, 85% of players that were there every day, day in and day out, getting the work in, even though it was on a voluntary basis, even though there was a vote by the Raiders and many other teams to skip the voluntary part uh, of OTAs. The Raiders took that vote and then quickly gathered as a team and said, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. We need to be in there working for a lot of reasons. They wanted to. I think this team is kind of wired that way. But also the Raiders understand, and as we were talking about in the in, in the last segment, there's guys that are just tired of losing. They don't want to lose anymore. They don't want to be 6-3 and three or 6-4 and four as they were the last two years after nine games and after ten games. And then finish seven and nine as they did in seven in, in 2019 and eight and eight as they did last year. Talk about sucking the energy out. That is an energy vampire. When you're at one point looking good, and then the next thing you know, you lose four out of the next five, five out of the next six. That'll take a guy down pretty quickly. And I think the Raiders are frankly sick and tired of that kind of a feeling. And so they weren't going to sacrifice any step along the way of trying to get better, of trying to put themselves in a position where that's not going to happen again. Even if it meant kind of defying their, their, their own union and publicly taking a vote saying, yes, we're not going to go to OTAs. We're not going to do it. But privately going, yeah, we're going to OTAs. We need this. Who are we? The Raiders who have collapsed the last two years, a young team that, you know, feels like they're headed in the right direction but isn't quite there. Who are we? This we being the players, that's what they were thinking. We're not in any position to just say, yeah, I don't need OTAs this year. They're in not no position whatsoever to have taken that kind of a position. And they didn't. And I think that's John Gruden seeing that, seeing that commitment, seeing what did he talk about. I, well, now I'll, I won't go so far as John did and say that his players would play for free. Yeah, that's not going to happen, nor should they. But I think you get the point. This is a committed team that wants to take advantage of every step along the way and are going to be out there full bore until the whistle blows and maybe even sneaking a few more reps in uh, after that. Imagine... If there were energy vampires, and I think there were these last couple of years, eliminating that and having just people that supply energy, don't take it away, but supply it. What a breath of fresh air that is and what a better working environment. And it ca- it's cause for hope, too. And I think the Raiders are in a position where they could get these, this thing turned around. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador.